As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everybody, it's Jane Johnson with the Bar Hill Group at Remax Camosin, host of He Said, She Said, They Said with Andrew Plank. Hey everybody, how's it going today? <laughs> and um, I'm with Remax Camosin, Andrew is with? Ryla Page, Coast Capital How's Realty Limited. I like to interrupt you in the middle of like stuff. Uh, so annoying. Awesome. So I'm going to start doing it to you today. Okay, good. Yeah, it's, it's on. <laughs> Okay, so today we're going to talk, we're just going to give a quick overview of the stats. They're not all out from uh, the board. And then we're going to talk about home inspections and why you should get them um, and why some people choose not to get them. Mm -hmm. And then we'll talk about what they inspect and potential uh, of uh, what you could do once you find out stuff from the inspections. Okay. So... Yes. How was your week? I had a good week. Yeah. Little, what made little it good? Bit of work, little bit of, I was out at, well, a nice barbecue yesterday. At, uh, I mean, this is the time of year where things are still busy, but not as busy. Um, so I had a uh, good open house this weekend on one of my listings. I uh, was able to get out to a barbecue and visit some friends and catch up. Um, you know, and just organizing some, some summertime stuff. It's exciting. Working on the home and working on the business. Was that your first open house since COVID? Yes, absolutely. And um, it was well attended, uh, about eight to 10 groups through. And uh, it was a little condo in the Jubilee area. Um, yeah, it, it was it was good. And people were coming in, various, various ones, some people wearing masks and not. Um, what does a building think about that? Well, that's the thing is the building itself recommends uh, while you're in the common property, they still want you to be wearing uh, wearing masks and stuff. Uh, so, you know, but it's pretty hard to control that as people come in the door. Well, so you wear a mask to protect other people, not yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is my thought. Yeah. And I, and I find most people respect and appreciate that, but not everyone does. So, Do you find yeah. open houses sell properties? So I had this, it was actually interesting. I had this discussion with um, the on-site manager there yesterday uh, who was saying he, he used to be in real estate. He says, you know, people just, you know, I used to host open houses just because I knew it would get buyers. I, I never did feel like they sold homes, but I, I beg to disagree. I think that um, an open house is a great opportunity to get to know how the buyers are reacting to the home. You know, how many people come through the home? It's all information. It's all useful information uh so who comes through the home how do they react to the home what kind of questions do they have do the same questions keep coming up are they focused on something uh, in the listing uh details or in the listing in the property itself that is something you can address um so i, I think open houses are great um i wouldn't i never do recommend in fact part of my we were just talking about this jane and i were just talking about do you send a uh, after an accepted offer do you send a you know a letter to you, an email to your clients with next steps. But, you know, we, we have, I think both of us have a lot of information packages that we send on to people. And so, uh, you know, in terms of an open house and hosting an open house, I do always let my clients know, you know, here are the pros and cons of an open house. Here are the things to consider. And this is why I believe an open house works, but I don't believe, I do believe you can overdo it. And I don't know about you, Jane, do you find like 
some some clients want you to host an open house every week. I just don't think that's fruitful. Um, but doing it in the first bit of the listing or after price reduction can be really, really helpful. I find there are two people who come through open houses. There's buyers. Um, usually they're not qualified to purchase. Yeah. They're just, uh, they're looking. It's a great way to get belly to belly with buyers and uh, find out what you, exactly what you said and how I've used that information. I was, give a report at the end of an open house and I say to the seller, do this, do this, do this be in result of those um, comments. Uh, and then the other one are people who are just checking out either because they want um, decorating ideas <laughs> or they're genuinely interested to see, you know, what they could do to their own <laughs> unit. <laughs> you definitely get a, a wider I mean, you don't get the vetted clients that are working with realtors necessarily coming through. Although I always, hmm? I, I always pick up buyers like, and so, I mean, I also pick up listings because people yes. go, you know what? I like the way she represented the house. Yeah. And so I've actually had people come to interview me, which I, I realized after that I met them at an open house. So. Yeah, it's yeah. You don't realize it at the time, but it's something you've always got to be aware of. And this is one of the things that we do when we list a home is, um, you know, is represent the home. So how we are representing it is gonna is gonna be good information to someone who's considering selling their own home. Yeah. So um, today we're gonna talk just about inspections, but first let's just go over the market, and we have our short little. Uh, data here because the big one's not out yet so we're just too quick on the on the which, uh which big one are we talking about because we usually this is our weekly one and we usually do the one at the end of the month we do month to date as well uh, that that one we do do yeah so okay we don't have that okay gotcha okay so new listings 224 and 183 pending mm-hmm Price 20, go ahead. Sure. 40, uh, 40 properties decreased in price, uh, while four increased in price. Um, that's kind of, I guess that ratio is about right, you know, 10 to one, usually not too many increases and quite a few decreases. Uh, we are seeing more and more, as you can see, that that number is getting bigger in relative, relative to the new listings and pendings. Um, back on market, five. And uh, 15 properties expired. It's gonna, I think we should just skip over solds from now on. It doesn't really, it's not a useful metric, but we keep talking about it anyway. Um, and for withdrawn, that's usually because somebody has changed their mind or there's something has come up and they're no longer gonna be on market. Exactly. So what, is this, what is this telling you, Jane, when you look at this? Um, is it different? Do you see anything different from last week? Are you seeing any trends? Um, yeah, I'm seeing the number of new listings increase. Um, mm -hmm. I'm seeing the list to sale ratios no longer one to one like it was in March. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, interestingly, I've been looking at data over the past few years and seeing that March actually is an awesome month to sell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I'm always advocating that people get a little bit of a jump on the market. And because um, people are often waiting till you know, April, May, uh, June even. And uh, I think that's too late. Yeah. Beat the crowd. Beat the crowd. Oh, Danielle is telling me that the other data is up. So I'm going to go get it. Hold on okay. one second. Sure. I just want to say too, though, um, you know, we just talked about March being a great month. But these stats that we're just seeing here, um, we are seeing more properties coming on market now. But I do anticipate, although I was just reporting, you asked me how my week was. I said it's been a little slower. I do think we're still going to have an active summer relative to some. Um, maybe not as active as it's been in the last number of months. But I do see us still having, it's still a good time to list your home if you're considering selling. There's no better time than the present if you didn't make it for the March or April. Okay. So I always, so net unconditional sales for this month so far, are 435 compared to 979 for the whole month last year. Mm -hmm. And I always wonder why those two numbers are different. I don't get it. Like the 481 in the last one and 435 in this one. But anyway, 
new listings are at 590. That's uh, so the 19th, that's less per diem, mm -hmm. I guess you would say, compared to 1480 last year. And then active listings still at 1417. So I was, I was telling somebody, we have 1400 realtors, 1400 <laughs> listings. <Listing>. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, we're each, we're each out there holding one listing and uh, trying to market the heck out of it. <laughs> I have a new listing coming up. Do you have one? Do you have anything coming up? Um, I've got a condo that will come up in the next month or two. And um, other than that, I'm in talks with some folks, but nothing, uh, nothing current. I have a listing coming up in Souk. It's a single family home three bedrooms plus a bonus room upstairs, a uh, very conventional layout, two car garage. And it has a beautiful um, backyard leading onto a park. And that's going to be priced in the mid sevens to high nice. sevens. I don't know yet. We'll see. <laughs> teasing, teasing people. It'll be, you know, low sixes, maybe mid sevens, maybe eights. I'm not sure yet. I don't know. We negotiate price with the seller when we list a property. Okay, let's talk about home inspections. What are the big five things that people inspect in home inspections? Well, they inspect the home in general. They were gonna. They they really would want to have maybe a look at perimeter drains, septic fields. Hmm. Mm. Oh, is there six now? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, the, um, the fire, yes, the roof, of course, an attic, the, any fireplaces and so on and so forth. Um, Seven. electrical. Plumbing. Uh, plumbing. Yeah. Yeah. Foundation. Big time. Um, also, uh, type of insulation. Right. So if you're looking for problems, you're going to be looking at the, you know, there are certain ages of homes that are going to have problems with potential problems with wiring, with um, vermiculite insulation mm -hmm. in the attic, which contains asbestos. You might find an underground oil tank. You want to scan for that. So is that now eight? Talking oil tanks. Yep. So the, the five big things became eight to 10 to, you know, who knows what. And it all depends on the era of the home. Uh, the, age, the age of the home, the era of the home, the condition of the home. And you, there's usually clues, but the, you know, the reason you hire a building inspector is also because uh, the clues that we see, um, you know, there's sometimes more clues than we see. I also find that um, like bringing somebody in who's a home inspector, they don't have a vested interest really on whether or not you sell. So they're an independent party who, who don't have rose colored glasses on. So I recommend you bring somebody in because they will allow you to take that second look. And, and often when you go in again, you're, you're kind of like, you're not as wowed. Mm -hmm. And um, I always recommend that people have a home inspector walk them around the property and really like say, Hey, this window is the seal is gone or look at this crack in this perimeter drain. Or because if you're looking just at a desktop um, or laptop with 264 yeah. pictures, yeah. it's really hard to figure out what the hell you're looking at. So let's clarify that, you know, when you're, when you hire your building inspector and as Jane mentioned, they are, going to be objective. They don't have a vested interest. They're getting paid one way or another uh, after you've hired them to do that work. Whereas your, um, you know, your realtor, as much as we are looking out for your best interests, you know, we only get paid if you buy a place. So there's the room for, um, there's a room for a little less objectivity. Let's, let's put it that way. Um, but when it comes to doing that, that review of the, the report, you know, you can either be off site and say, just send me the report. And then you read the black and white report, which I always find is a lot more um, problematic because they are going to be putting everything uh, that they find into writing. And um, often the language of these reports is boilerplate. They add uh, information that uh, if they find something minor, even they will add information that gives you background on what could be there. And it can be, um, it's easy to blow it out of proportion versus when you're on site with the inspector and on site with the inspector, they could still be having their laptop up and running through what they found in the report with photos and discussing it. But at least you have the opportunity to ask them questions in real time and get some feedback. But as Jane said, ideally when they're pointing out a window seal that's failed 
or a problem with a little bit of uh, something in the attic, you know, if you can go and look at that and get the physical eyes on experience of what that is and know where it is in the building. And it'll help you get you a sense of scale too. Cause again, photos and a report don't really give you that. Yeah. And also if you can't be there, you can also have somebody uh, actually FaceTime you and mm -hmm. walk you around the property and show you this. And I find for me um, when I'm working with clients from far away, it's helpful. So yeah. we, we're still looking at it. They still see the perspective of, of what we're looking at and then uh, they can make that decision. Yeah. Yeah. And that decision is a hard one at times because, you know, different people have different levels of um, knowledge of building construction and repair. And, you know, I've seen people walk away from homes that, uh, you know, we, Jane and I see a lot of, we stand, you know, walks, we, we attend these building inspection reports. Uh, we see the results of them. We, we hear and talk to these, these inspectors. We hear our clients' questions. So we kind of get a sense of the scale of what's normal and what's not. And, um, you know, some clients will walk away when there's a report that really doesn't have too much uh, problem with it. And then there are pe people who don't walk away from reports that, you know, they have rose colored glasses and say, well, despite this report, I think I can go forward. And, you know, as 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 representatives, we're kind of shaking our heads going, wow, this is this is there's a lot going on here. And we will probably have a discussion with our client to say, you know, are you sure you want to do this? Well, yeah, I've gone through uh, an inspection with somebody and it's been the worst one I've ever seen. <laughs> they're, mm -hmm. they're like, yeah, let's go ahead. But it's more like uh, they're not listening to to what's being said. I think, though, like uh, we're there to uh, sort of offer perspective as well. Like, hey, you know, by the way, you're from Ontario and roofs there, I was I found out this week, really do only last about five to ten years. Mm -hmm. Whereas here they last 20 to 25 years. So when I said, mm -hmm. oh, we have a 14 year old roof, they're like, oh my God, forget that. But right. Yeah. Or I find folks from back East also really don't like oil heat. Um, that's a big deal. Or single pane windows. Two things that are fairly, fairly common around here and don't tend to, you know, single pane windows when it comes to your actual costs over time. Uh, to upgrade them, yes, they give you a added comfort and noise reduction and so forth. But does it mean that the home is going to fail an inspection because it's got single pane windows? I sure hope not. Well, and also, okay, so let's just talk about that. When you're looking at uh, a home inspection and you're wanting to get money off, so sometimes you can mm. negotiate money off. Those are for things that you can't see without an inspection. So if you are going through the house and the home inspector says, by the way, these are all single pane windows. Well, yes, you saw them when you were walking through that they were single pane windows and hopefully your realtor pointed them out. But if you find an underground buried oil tank, mm -hmm. then you're going to negotiate with the seller for that to be resolved before you yeah, move in. Negotiation isn't necessarily around price. It's around, you know, having it removed at the seller's expense or, you know, that's generally it. I mean, you, you really don't want to just negotiate price and leave that potential time, that time bomb in, in, in the ground there. Um, but that being, you know, that's a great point you brought up is this whole idea of negotiating after the fact. And in certain markets, when new information comes to light, you're well within your rights to go back and have a conversation. You do open up the contract and the seller could decide that they no longer want to deal with you and move on to another buyer. Um, in a hot market, as we've experienced, if you go back after the fact to negotiate and there's some new information has come to light, but it's not highly material to, to price or value. It might be that there's some minor thing that needs repair that nobody had really anticipated. It's probably a, if, probably in this kind of market, not a good idea to go back and renegotiate. It's a conversation that's for, totally worth having, mm -hmm. but don't make it make or break. Um, what say you, Jane? Well, did you see me keep opening my mouth? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a guppy. I, I just want to say, actually, it's a good discussion to have with your realtor before you list what needs to be done before you even go on the market. So I went to see a house um, recently, and the gutters were all full of weeds. And I'm like, you need to deal with that before anybody even comes to view the house. Mm -hmm. And get your roof 
demossed before anybody comes to view the house because those are seen, those are patent defects. These are things that you can see without an inspection mm -hmm. and they, they make sure your house doesn't show well right from the get-go. So, and your realtor can tell you where to spend the money ahead of time to avoid that thing coming up in the inspection. So if you're in like a 1930s house, then you might say, do you know if you have vermiculite in the attic? Right. Yeah. You know, okay. So then you have two choices. You can deal with the vermiculite or you can, um, and, and get it certified that it's removed or it'll come up after and it will come up after. Yeah. And but it, one way or another disclose it in advance. And I had this happen recently with a buyer made an offer on a property and the seller actually had had prior inspection and the buyer had walked for a different reason apparently, but there had been vermiculite discovered in the attic. And when we made our offer, it hadn't been disclosed to us. There was no information to us about vermiculite. So we did our inspection and found vermiculite and, and, and went back to, to, to try to renegotiate this. And the seller's position was, well, it doesn't have to be removed because as long as it's not disturbed, it's safe. But from our perspective, you know, in, it, it, affects the sell, it affects the buyer's sense of value. It affects the buyer's um, interest in the property. And, and, and if a buyer doesn't want to remove it, there's an added expense that wouldn't have been necessary had it just been regular insulation. So these kind of things, I find if, if it had been disclosed in advance, then I could have had a conversation in advance with the buyers. They could have gone in. Um, they may have adjusted their offer. They may not have adjusted their offer, but there wouldn't have been the friction that we, what, that we ended up with after the fact. So I always believe in disclosing things that could come up as a problem in the future, even if you don't intend to address them. Yeah. And we have people who are sellers who go, well, I don't want to tell anybody, you know, mm -hmm. that the basement floods in, in May. I'm like, yeah. you do want to tell people yeah. <laughs> because really you don't do. want it to come back to bite you in the butt. Yep. Yeah. You may get your home sold, but then you may also then have to deal with a legal proceeding because, you know, the neighbor is going to say, you know, Joan knew it flooded. They were, they were out there with buckets every, every, every winter pulling stuff out of the basement and uh, they never addressed it. And then you and the new owner is going to say, okay, well, I'm calling my lawyer because they never told us about this. And this is so, something that, yeah. Yeah. And, and so actually one, I had a, similar situation where uh, I went with the buyer to look at a property it was in Oak Bay and um, it was a very cute little house and the previous offer had just fallen apart and we walked through and the seller had a property disclosure statement on the fridge and um, she, the paper copy. So she, she actually had put in that uh, knob and tube wiring had been found on the property because mm -hmm uh it had been found and yeah. unbeknownst to the listing agent and so then when we wrote the offer the listing agent is you know there's knob and two i'm like yeah we do and so then it wasn't a problem we'll right. just deal with it right so it just makes things a lot better also um so in older houses you're looking at foundation because you have those kind of older um big boulder type ones and they can start rolling out you're looking for um, whether or not the house is actually bolted to the foundation. You're looking for knob and tube wiring and underground oil storage tanks and vermiculite information uh, installation, yep. right? You're looking for rot. You're looking for insects. You're looking for pests of any kind. I had a I had a listing one time where we discussed. <laughs> I was um, I was there uh, looking at the property and evaluating it for sale. This was a rural property. And I stuck my head up into the attic because I wanted to see what was, you know, what's the insulation and so on and so forth. And I had my camera up and all, you know, all of a sudden, like stuff was flying around. <laughs> I had to come back down. I was looking at the video and there's like bats everywhere. They had like a colony in there. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were going to say a rat ran No, down. no rat in that case, but no. And most rural properties will have rats. And, you know, there's, there's a level of expectation that people have where they have to really, I think you have to take some things with a grain of salt. Jane, I want to circle back because you, and maybe you want to speak to this or I can speak to it, but um, you mentioned patent defect. And so when it comes to building inspection and it comes to, uh, you know, relative to a building inspection is the fact that the seller does have an obligation to disclose a, 
uh, a latent defect versus a patent defect. And so do you want to describe the difference on that? Sure. So a patent defect is something that you see. Uh, it's readily viewable. So for instance, like a, like a hole in the roof, like a hole in the roof or a leaky chimney or um, um, I'm just trying to think of uh, uh, a vent pipe coming out of the ground is a latent yeah. defect because you don't know what the vent pipe is for. Right. A, a patent defect would be something like um, you have an oil tank, a very, very old oil tank in the basement that's like 100 years old. Right. So patent means it's, it's easily found visible. You don't have to go searching far and wide to find it. A regular building inspection would pick it up. A latent defect, it's latent, it's hidden. And not only is it latent and hidden, but it's also a major defect. It's just a hidden minor problem isn't something you need to disclose. And obviously disclosure requires you to be knowledgeable of something. If you're not aware that there's an underground oil tank, you can't disclose what you don't know. But you can't say you're unaware. Uh, and often like- If some you are aware, you can't say you're unaware. Pardon? You're saying if you are aware of something, you can't say you're unaware of something. Yeah. Yeah, that's- So I was doing, a, I was doing an open house at a house on Matic. And I sold two side by side. So the neighbors started to know me and this lady came up to me and she's like, how much do you think my house is worth? And I'm like, well, I have to go in and actually see your house. <laughs> but we have a range here based on what's just sold. And I said, you know, do you have any underground oil storage tanks? And she's like, no, you know, other than the one that's under the back patio. <laughs> Right. So sometimes it's a skill question, like for the realtor to really get the information from the owner. Like, like uh, for instance, when they, when we talk about latent defects, it's like, have you ever grown pot in your house? Did you have a permit to grow pot in your house? Right. <laughs> Cause now right. you don't need uh, necessarily a permit if you're growing up to four plants. And um, I did have a client to grow pot and he did have a permit, so it was therefore not a latent defect. Right. And so a lot of these questions are on the property disclosure statement. And I find some, and, and again, this is part of your, um, when we talk building inspections, actually one of the things we didn't talk about, one of the things covered in building inspections is actually municipal records and being able to explore further information, you know, um, getting going to VHOF or septic records going to the city and finding out your zoning and all of that. Your building inspection is more than just the physical inspection of the home. Also, you want to know where the property line is because um, yeah. often people don't put the fence on the property line. No, sometimes it's over the property line. Sometimes it's five feet inside. <laughs> you know? so, yes. <laughs> but, so one of the things that we ask clients to do, uh, sellers to do, and one of the things that buyers tend to try to, rely on is the reading the property disclosure statement, which would be you considered part of your investigations. And um, a lot of sellers uh, at times, if they haven't lived in the property or don't, or it's an estate and they don't feel like they have a connection to the property or they don't want to take on that added liability of, of, of providing a disclosure, they will just cross that off. And I, I feel like, you know, that's fine if you really don't have a legal connection to the property and you don't want to make disclosures that you could be held accountable to uh, where you you really in true uh, good faith don't don't know that property. But if you are familiar with that property, I feel that the buyers will get more confidence. You'll see more money for the property uh, if you make good faith disclosure. And as long as it's a good faith disclosure, it shouldn't come back to bite you. Well, what it does come back is if you're making disclosure that is incorrect. I think the first thing to realize too is that the property disclosure is a courtesy that the seller provides for the buyer and it's a starting point. Mm -hmm. And often there are mistakes. Like mm -hmm. I've received them and a realtor has interpreted a question differently than I have interpreted it. Like mm -hmm. has this property been previously occupied? And he wrote no. And right. I'm like, well, doesn't the seller live there? Yes, but it wasn't occupied before him. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? That may cause that may cause a problem with the lawyer because it, it could trigger a GST question. Yeah. 
Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and that's, I mean, okay, so this gets in, you know, you can't. But anyway, so, so, but you do um, not, the thing is, if you don't fill it out, buyers do get suspicious and they wonder, like, how come this isn't yeah. filled out? So, yes, if you're the son or daughter of, of somebody, um, but if you've been helping them manage it for like the last 10 years, you probably know the property better than the person who's actually on title. Exactly. So. Yeah. Um, so the other thing with um, building inspections that we should probably talk about is, should you have one? What happens if the, if the buyer decides not to have one? Why would a buyer decide not to have one? What are the risks? What are the rewards? So right now, a lot of people are foregoing that. And what they do is they go around with their realtor. And they and the realtor goes, well, it looks like it needs a new roof. You know, we're not building inspectors. I mean, we can only... Uh, like observe stuff. Oh, look, there's a crack in the ceiling. I've seen these cracks before. This is, we are not building inspectors. We are not so, building inspectors. And uh, sometimes we play one on TV, but that is not appropriate. <laughs> and also you can't get a, you can't get a building inspection before an offer, but often people forego uh, having a building inspection because they want to write an unconditional offer and they want to come in what's called strong. And so uh, even people who are in the trades, like uh, my husband and I flipped a lot of properties and we forewent building inspections. And, uh, you know, afterwards we found stuff. We're like, ugh. so. So you want to look at, you know, I guess, again, it's risk versus reward. And the way I look at it is probability of a problem. I mean, how many building inspections do you do where you do find a, a real huge hidden defect versus a litany of small um, uh, maintenance items, the, the honeydew lists? So uh, the question becomes, you know, what you're doing here is buying insurance by getting a building inspection. And not every building inspection finds everything. By the way, I've had building inspectors not find insect infestations and other things. They can't pull. They don't move furniture around and, and look behind walls and, and so forth. So there's always an opportunity for things to be missed. But it does, it does give you a little bit of added insurance. If you choose not to do insurance, which is your right, um, your risk is, is that there's a catastrophic problem found. The risk inspection, of that problem, you mean? Sorry, yes. Um, if you choose not to get an inspection, there's risk of a catastrophic problem found or highly expensive one. So people will, in a different market, maybe mitigate that by making a lower offer that's unconditional versus uh, a higher offer that's conditional on a property. They really want this property. They're willing to take the risk. They're willing to take it on with, with um, whatever unknown problems there may be, but they're going to lower their price to try and cover for that. Could they still find an underground oil tank and a $200,000 remediation? Yeah. But um, so there's that possibility. There's also like you can choose to do multiple different inspections. It's not just one inspection. If you want to do, as I said earlier, a, a, a perimeter drain inspection on your own, um, you can do that. You can do get a roofer in to look at the roof. You can, you can Jane, you can bring your, um, your father-in-law. Well, I was going to say, I was going to say, um, you know, I had a client buy a 10 year old house. She was actually on the show. And when she moved into her previous house, which was a very, very old house. Um, and we, what happens is the longer you're in the business, the, the more you see stuff. Like for instance, I saw this beautiful house the other day in Oak Bay. And I said to the buyer, what's happening a lot with these houses right now is the uh, water line from the house to the, uh, road is breaking down. And so really you want to get that inspected because that's a huge ticket. Mm -hmm. And so that may seem like too big. And the only reason why I said it was because I saw cast iron pipes coming down and I thought, okay, well, they probably have a, a cast iron pipe from the house to, or some sort of old pipe to the. Right. And you're talking the sewer, like the sewer lines, the drainage lines or the. No, line? the water line. The water line coming in to the house. Yeah. Yeah. The water line coming into the house. And then like you see, um, as we're going around, we see things like I, I did a listing a few 
uh, months ago and I saw a vent pipe in the ground and I'm like, you need to get that in inspected. Well, they said there was no vent pipe when we bought the house. I know, just get it inspected. And it turns out somebody had just shoved a vent pipe into the ground. Oh. <laughs> it's so weird to say. Anyway. That's like, that's like the realtor that throws the keys away after a really good showing because they don't want other agents to view it. Just have a collection of vent pipes that you can sort of pop into the ground so nobody else makes an offer on this hot property. I like that uh, idea. And the other Great. thing is like smell, you know, when you go into a house, no. what does yeah. it smell like? And what does that tell you? What does that smell tell you? And um, <laughs> sometimes like uh, you can go into a house. This is a really important one for a seller. You can go into a house and it smells like mold. And it's mm. because they haven't been cleaning out their washing machine. Yeah, their washing machine or they, they just it's not getting enough air ventilation or what have you. And, you know, um. The other side of that is don't buy a whole bunch of really smelly uh, uh, <laughs> air, fresheners. air fresheners because, you know, people walk in and even if your home is immaculate and normally is fresh and clean, you add air fresheners in there and people are going to be saying, what are they trying to cover up? Just let well, it smell what? how it smells. One <laughs> client, um, I guess, you know, there's a store that sells all the, that stuff, mm -hmm. diffusers and stuff. And, and I, I can't stand really strong smells. So I'm in the house and I'm like, <coughs> I th yeah, I'm coughing. Yeah. <laughs> I think you need to get rid of the diffuser. And she's like, well, it's natural. And I said, so is pot. <laughs> but <laughs> when people go in and they smell pot, it's, it's a real turnoff. Yeah. Um, yeah. For some people, there's a certain clientele maybe. <laughs> So just to going back to that talk about, you know, because it is real, um, you know, I had a client that bought a home uh, and a week within a week of them actually buying it, the water line actually did bust on the way into their home and they ended up with a flooded basement. Now, I don't know how you could actually inspect for something like that without doing an invasive dig up and so on and so forth. But when you do move into a home, it is one of the things you might want to check on an older home is the systems coming in and going out of your home. You can actually um, look at the pipe coming in from from the wall. From the wall. Yeah. I oh, yeah. So I was going to say. So this client had moved into a house where actually, in her case, it was a sewer pipe, mm -hmm. and it had been blocked up by um, by uh, uh, roots. Mm -hmm. And so she bought this house. It was ten years old, and the sewer guy's like, like you don't need to do this. But sure enough. Mm -hmm. We did a sewer pipe inspection and there were little tendrils leading in and yeah, we got it fixed and 300 bucks as it's, opposed to a $10,000 problem. Yeah. And we, we, yeah. And then that's actually a conversation we're having at our home right now is around the sewer line uh, and some, some issues and you know, the cost of getting it scoped or getting it rooted versus the cost of, well, number one, the cost of actually having, the physical problems of it backing up or having to have the whole thing replaced, at least get it, get it serviced. And there's so much like with owning a home that requires a lot of service. And one of the things that a building inspection does, even if you, it, is it identifies all those things that could be upcoming future problems. It gives you some timelines on things. It gives you a sense of, okay, there's an issue here. So even if, um, even if you get it done after you move into the home, if you decided not to do a building inspection because you were competitive in the marketplace and you just didn't have time to get it done, get it done afterwards, get those answers to those questions. So you don't end up with, so you can address any problems that are actually addressable in advance. Yeah. And sellers, I mean, sometimes uh, quite honestly, they get annoyed with a lot of questions. So uh, what I recommend is that you just make a list mm -hmm. and ask all the questions at once rather than numerous little questions yeah that's so what you're saying i've you know I've, I've seen that and had that experience where you've got buyers who are cautious and um let's say the they're considering making an offer whether they're um whether the seller is holding offers at a certain time or they're just you know taking them as they go once you start peppering that seller with a lot of different questions you're telling the seller a lot about your buyers these are nervous buyers they have a lot of questions they're not um, they may not be confident in the building uh, building inspection result. 
And when you and 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 so when you do finally bring your offer, if you end up competing, uh, you're going to be in one one foot under. But if you respectfully ask a lot of really relevant questions and you you craft those questions properly, you're going to be better off than than again that peppering. Yep, I agree. And and I have to honestly, you have to kind of coach your client. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I understand this is important. We're, we're gonna. I want you to get to five questions before I submit this. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Or you know, uh, is is the answer to this question really really relevant to your decision to purchase this home? Yeah. Like for instance, I have clients who are interested in new construction right now, mm-hmm. and um, it's a newly built home, and it comes with a warranty, but mm-hmm. the um, the builder built it for the person who's selling it and it's and not all the deficiencies are fixed and so i called the agent up yesterday i said well how do i ensure that the deficiencies are dealt with right good question puts it on the seller seller's agent yeah so he's like say that the deficiencies will be fixed before blah 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 Mm -hmm. date and then otherwise it'll be a holdback right Anyway, okay, so who do you recommend for home inspections? Well, we've had Russell Cass on before with Home Check. Um, and uh, if, especially if you're doing a Strata uh, inspection or any, I, I, I like this company and Russell uh, for any kind of inspection, but uh, they also additionally do a depreciation report report um, if you're doing, a, if you're purchasing Strata. Uh, so that's one. How about you, Jane? I mean, we both would recommend. Yeah. So I also use Russell or Chad from Home Check Inspections. Yeah. Their number is 778-351-1928. And you can check them out at homecheckcanada.com. And then I also recommend James. He actually was trained with Russell. And he runs Safe and Sound Home Inspections, actually. His number is 250-478-3580, safeandsoundhomeinspections.ca. Both of these guys will walk you through the property. They'll point out everything. And um, they will, Russell gives you the breakdown of the strata James does not. So I use James for homes and Russell for condos. Okay, next one. Marty. Already at Pillar to Post. So Pillar to Post uh, will do, um, they have additional options for inspections if you want to do uh, envi- some environmental testing for mold uh, and and that sort of thing. Um, but they're, uh, they're usually fairly available, pretty quick to respond. Uh, they will also um, do an on-site walkthrough. Uh, if you want to actually walk through and point things out, Marty's got a lot of energy. He will definitely do that for you. Um, but you know, you you have to ask for that. And, I'm just gonna uh, sh- share the screen. So Marty is at Pillar to Post, and uh, his number there is two five zero three eight five four thousand. That's Pillar to Post dot com. And yeah, so you've got a list here of the different levels of um, of report that you can receive from them, and different levels of uh, of inspection service. And what's really interesting here is that. Um, he gives an executive summary, which actually James does not do because James wants you to read the whole report. Mm. James also gives you a guide of uh, resources of the approximate costs of renovating your home. And he also gives you a guide of maintenance, monthly maintenance, which is important for people from out of town, as yeah. does Pillar to Post right here. Yeah, Pillar to Post will do that. And they also will always say, you know, if there's anything that comes up or you have a question, at any time, you can always call them back, uh, even years later. Um, he's pretty adamant about that, that they're they're interested in, um, in providing that kind of information. So, I mean, he's saying they do a rodent inspection, but I think all of them, I don't know how you cannot do a rodent inspection. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on Pillar to Post, they will do tests for molds and allergens. If you pay for the package. If you pay for the package, so... And, yeah, and sorry, and and just keep in mind too that there's usually a time lag on that. So, um, it's a great inspection to do as a seller, as a pre-inspection, and be able to provide that report and uh, give assurance to any buyers who are interested. But as a as a buyer doing that report, 
if you're looking at offers, if, if a listing comes up on a Thursday and they're looking at offers on Monday and you even get that building inspector in on Thursday, you may not get your results by Monday for the molds and so on and so forth. Yeah, and I find, um, essentially, I find that having people walk you around, having the inspector walk you around really gives you the interaction you need to, and 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 you can make notes as you go. I often make notes. People are like, are you texting? No, I'm making notes. Mm -hmm. And then I'll, I'll report back to the listing agent if it's okay with the buyer to do that. I do that ASAP and then... Um, what that does is um, it allows them to see what's what are the problems that we're finding. So recently we um, bought a, a client bought a brand new home and there were problems with the floor and I never heard uh, really what the problem was. So we had to go in again and get an assessment and then um, figure out what was wrong. We got it fixed and no problem. Good. Yeah. But otherwise, you know, some people, some how you deal with problems as an agent is going to be dependent on your personality. So some agents might say, well, you know, it's brand new home. It's fine. Well, it depends on your the agent. It depends on the, um, the agent on the other side of the table. It depends on the seller, depends on the buyer. Um, and that's all part of this whole navigating this whole thing. When there's a problem that comes up, if it's a problem for the buyer, then it needs to get addressed one way or another. Um, but finding finding information is the first thing and then addressing it in a way that is and what james mentioned is giving giving some feedback to the seller if you have your building inspection on monday and your conditions for the building inspection are due that same day um and you are then going to go back to the seller and try to renegotiate you may not have a lot of time to access them especially if they're maybe out of the country or out of you know out of out of availability last minute negotiations don't tend to go as well as you know, having some more lead time to be able to say, you know, we found some problems, we're digesting it, we're gathering more information. Here's a heads up that this is what was found. We may want to discuss this further. Yeah. And again, it depends on who the listing agent is. So uh, how they are, how they uh, want to respond as well as their seller. So really, um, like I, I once said to somebody, you're going to sell what you like. You're going to help a buyer buy what you like as well. So you really mm -hmm. want to find an agent who has similar values to you. So like if, you know, they're going to be sensitive to your needs um, around, I don't know, additional inspections, then they're going to counsel you on these resources so that you can get all these done if you have a conditional offer before the condition removal date. And we can we can turn these things around pretty quickly. We can give you the um, the resources you need pretty quickly. Don't you find? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think, I think though more to that point is, you know, definitely finding someone you relate to and who will understand and listen to your concerns and help you address them is really important, but they still need to be able to go back, go to bat for you. They, you know, if you're, let's say, I mean, just because let's say you're an easygoing person who doesn't like conflict doesn't mean you should hire a realtor who's an easygoing person who doesn't like conflict. I mean, I think Jane and I are both relatively easygoing people, but we can, yes, we can still address assertively a problem when it comes up uh, based on our client's needs and sometimes help our clients to understand why it needs to be a little bit more aggressively or assertively communicated to the other side but in a way again that that uh, you know again communication is so key in terms of helping people understand why something is a concern uh, and helping to put your clients you the buyers uh, concerns into language that the seller will understand and respect and also sometimes like you as a listing agent or a buyer agent you could be telling somebody something and they it just doesn't clue in until it's too late and you're yeah. like, I've told you this before, like buying a, a mobile home. By the way, it's only month to month lease. That's a latent defect. Or the suite is illegal. That's a latent defect. <laughs> month to month lease is a patent defect. That's easily found. I would argue, I would argue that one. But month it's still a defect. Yeah. It's still something to be concerned about. Or con Yeah. Yeah. If they're so not. I'm very literal. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay. So Andrew, because yeah. you know what I was thinking, how many deals have we done together? None. We've done a few, but not a lot. Did you say two? none? Yeah. Maybe two or three. Yeah. Yeah. We should, we should up that. <laughs> okay. If you want to reach Andrew, you can reach me at 250-360-6106. Email me info at andrewplank.com. Check out my website, andrewplank.com. And if you want to reach me, my name is Jane Johnston. Uh, you can call me at 250-740-0775 or reach me at briarhillgroup at gmail.com. Actually, you know what? Text message is the best. And um, I have two websites. One's briarhillgroup.com and the other one's based on neighborhoods called vancouverislandtime.com. So check me out. Excellent. And don't forget to subscribe. We're yeah, on YouTube. Yeah, check us out every week. Yeah, we're here at 10 a.m. every week. And is there anything you want to focus on next week? Uh, let's. So we talked about building inspections this time. Um, so well, let's put the seller's hat on. And well, we we didn't talk pre-inspections. Let's talk components of a house. Do you want to just talk like components of a house and the different things and layouts and just types of houses and just houses in general? Okay. We love houses. Yeah. We love houses and we love people. So check us out each each Monday morning at 10 a.m. We'll see you guys next Monday and we'll be talking about all the components of houses and what you should be looking for. Okay. okay. Excellent. Thanks. Have a good week. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye, Jane. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.